having a conversation with somebody who is humble is very easy. But having a conversation with somebody who is letting you know about their personal greatness, even though you can't get a word in, that's not easy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible and today we are in chapters 33 to 36. It's very interesting. Elihu is the main subject here today. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I am going to be taking a look at the issue of hygiene in ancient Israel. Ryan? Today I've entitled my segment, Job and the Ice Age. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, Job and the Ice Age. Very good. Janice? Today, multiplying words is the title of my segment. All right. Well, we're not multiplying words on this program. We're studying every one of them. Take your Bible out. This is what God spoke to us. And let's read it because God is talking right now. Let's hear it. Job 35, verses 1 through 11. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, Do you think this is right? You say, My righteousness is more than God's. For you say, What advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your companions with you. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you, and your righteousness a son of man. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, Where is God my Maker who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? Job chapter 35, verses 1 through 11. Job chapter 33, chapter 34, chapter 35, and chapter 36 is what we read today. Now, having a conversation with someone who is humble is very different than speaking with someone who is convinced of their own personal greatness. In this difficult case, it is hard to connect on a personal level or even get a word in. (laughs) Speaking to God is a very different experience, especially when we confess our faults. God already knows how we failed him. And he can do a great work when we admit to him and to ourselves. As we pray and listen to God, he will teach us how to act and how to react. Nothing is more important. What we see with Elihu, however, is a young man that seems quite arrogant. Elihu claims that he is so enlightened that all the friends of Job need to listen to him. Wow. He speaks of himself and his understanding of God, which is exactly what Job didn't need. He didn't need that. You see, if someone is in trouble, 
We would do well to listen and not to quickly announce judgment on their situation. Sometimes it's best to let the Holy Spirit speak to the issues. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Very, very important. Get your Bible guide, turn to today's passage as we look at this because it is something. And uh, if you don't have one, you can call us or write to us or go to Bible Discovery TV. Click on the Bible Guide page. It'll take you to a donation page. I want to say thank you for your donations. They're very, very helpful to us. They keep us alive. And it'll take you to a page where you can down download here and just see it as we print it on your computer. It is excellent. I encourage you to do that overseas and many other places. You're seconds away from joining us. Father, help us. As we explore the words of Elihu, um, it's really uh, important. He's a very unique and different friend. Lord, I would say that uh, I can see myself in him. And I pray that you would help me and turn me into a different place and help me to know you and help me to be a good listener. I pray in Jesus' name, I don't need to speak everything, but I need to listen. Help me, Father, today in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Job 35 is interesting. Let me tell you. Verses one through four. Moreover, Elihu answered and said, do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit shall I have more than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your companions with you. <laughs> this is amazing. Let me, let me tell you something. Elihu is basing his argument on what he thought Job said. What he thought Job said. When we listen to people, we have to listen to their heart. Elihu's anger comes down on Job. That's not what he needed. We must be careful to listen and, to, and slow to speak. Careful to listen and slow to speak. I wish I could remind myself of that every day. I wish I could be slow to speak and careful to listen because that's what I need to do. What about you? Are you with me on this? Hopefully you are because most of us are. <laughs> so let's remember that our human condition grows our self-importance, but our self is not important. What's important is Jesus Christ. What's important is God. God in me. That's what's important. That's exactly what self-esteem is all about. It's not about self. It's Christ-esteem. It's about Christ. That's what we need to do as Christians. We need to work on developing Christ in us. That's why we read the Bible. Okay, Job 35, verse 5. Look to the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you sin, what do you accomplish against him? Or if, you tra if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a man such as you and your righteousness, a son of man. Wow. Elihu claims that Job is arrogant and confronts him in his pain. Pain is a horrible thing that sin often causes. We should not stand in accusation of another. Don't stand 
in accusation of your brother. The accuser of the brother in that position is already filled in the Bible. And I don't want to fill it. But the one who tells the brother, listen, let's repent. Let's get back and let's go together. That's a good person. This is in James. We'll get to this in the New Testament. That's a great person. So we don't need to judge each other, but we need to help each other walk through life and help each other to do what God says. Very important. All right, let's go on to Job chapter 35, verses 9 through 11. Here's what the Bible says. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out. They cry out for help because of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beast of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heaven? Boy, this Elihu something else, isn't he? Elihu continues to speak foolishness. None of us in any, is any wiser with time. The Holy Spirit is the source of all wisdom. None of us is any wiser with time, but the Holy Spirit is the source of all wisdom. And I, I like to say this, when I see somebody, I like to say, how's your experience with the Lord? Because if your experience with the Lord is much, I can learn from you. I can learn from you anyway, but I can learn from you. But if your experience with the Lord is nil, then you have older people who don't know anything. Our experience with the Holy Spirit is very important. So beloved, when we come to Christ, Okay, here we go. This is going to be my challenge. We come to Christ, we must read the word of God. I, I believe it's a command to know the word of God. Deuteronomy 17 says of the kings, uh, he says you should read the word and write it yourself and make sure you study it all the time. And if we are kings, according to Peter and all the rest of it, if we are kings, then that's what we should do. So the command to study God's word, God says, if you love me, disciples, you'll do my commandments. If we know the commands of God, if we understand what he did, and if we live our life as Jesus lived his life and we follow him, then we will do well. Let me tell you, we will do well with one another. And there'll always be struggles and always be challenges. But I challenge you today to read the Bible. Join us. Become a part of us. Get the Bible guide and be a part of learning the word of God. Not me, but I'm reading the Bible. Join me as I read the Bible. What does God speak to you? How does he show you the things he wants to show you? And I hear from you when you write to me. So let's study together, beloved. That's what we need to know. Let's not be like Elihu was and say we know everything because we don't. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. So part of mourning in the ancient world was 
forsaking the normal daily rituals uh, that that every human had in that society in order to display one's devastation. And Job was in this time period of mourning because of losing his children, but also he had lost his health as well. So today, you and I are going to be talking about what regular hygiene and human upkeep was like in ancient Israel. Now, admittedly, we don't have all of the information that we'd like to have on this, but there are some things that we can learn from history and archaeology. So let's take a look. One of the weaknesses in the material archaeology of the biblical world is in recreating the day-to-day -day lives of the people. Some daily articles made of more perishable materials do not survive in abundance, and without a written explanation of everyday life, it can be difficult to know with certainty how some objects, spaces, and life issues were dealt with. One of the weak spots in our knowledge is how ancient Israelites dealt with issues of hygiene and sanitation. Living as a human, we all have experiences that allow us to know what concerns the ancients needed to deal with. Body odor, general cleanliness, laundry, human and animal waste, dishes, cleaning of the home, and garbage disposal. While our knowledge is not exhaustive, we do get help from the archaeological record. For issues of personal cleanliness, laundry, and body odor, ancient Israelites had both religious and social motivation. Socially, it's very human that people wanted to mask unpleasant odors, and thanks to written sources, we know that perfume, incense, and bundles of aromatic spices were commonly used to sweeten the air. Israelites also had the added motivation of the Law of Moses that commanded ritual purity, bodily cleansing, and the laundering of clothes after various bodily functions. If they were inclined to follow the law, we can safely assume that their bodies and clothes met water and a cleaning agent more often than they would have otherwise. In regard to ritual purity, scholars studying the four-room house, a style that is bound to the presence of the Israelites and was the predominant floor plan for Israeli homes throughout the time period of the judges and kings. They have noted that these houses with their central rooms that provide access to all other areas of the house allow not only for greater privacy, but were also ideal for observing the purity laws of the Old Testament. For privacy, a person did not have to travel through other rooms of the house to reach their destination, but could have access to all areas of the home from the central room. The advantages of this arrangement for ritual purity is that members of the household experiencing temporary ritual impurity could move around the house without coming into direct contact with others, and also be able to keep up with their daily routines. This is in contrast to other societies whose ritual purity laws forced unclean members to live in temporary shelters away from the main home. While general waste disposal likely varied from city to city, several ancient toilet seats have been discovered. In the city of Jerusalem, two of these seats were found still in their ancient place, each over a cesspit. When archaeologists examined the remains of the cesspits, they revealed what a difficult situation ancient Jerusalem must have been in during the days leading up to the Babylonian destruction. And for our interest today, they revealed that liming agents were dumped into the cesspits to facilitate breakdown and sanitation of these ancient latrines. It is believed that these types of accommodations were probably reserved for the upper classes of society. You know, it's always really interesting to me to 
really dig into what is known about this this time the physical remains that have been that have survived you know these thousands of years and that archaeologists have found and have studied and compare that to the rules and the regulations that ancient Israel was to be following according to the law of God recorded in the you know the first five books of the Bible because we know that ancient Israel didn't always perfectly follow those laws but some of them, they did strive to follow a lot of the ritual purity laws they did. So it's always really interesting to dig into the ancient culture and see what was normal, what was expected biblically, and then what we have evidence of happening. It's always really interesting. It gets us into the day-to-day lives of the people who were living through the times that we read about in the Bible. I think the personal uh, care of yourself is important because I've actually taken that time to get myself ready, but also to read the Bible in the morning. And uh, that becomes very, very important. Excellent, Corey. Brian? All right. Well, I'm excited about my report today because it revolves around Job chapter 38, verses 29 and 30, which just might be an allusion to the Ice Age. The language employed is definitely very interesting. But whether these verses are referring to the Ice Age or not, the events recorded in the book of Job are almost definitely contemporary with this great freeze. Now, generally speaking, if you ask a scientist who rejects or ignores the early history of the Bible in Genesis 1 to 11, in particular the Genesis Flood, he will tell you that there were many ice ages over many millions of years. On the other hand, a scientist who fully accepts and embraces the early history in the Bible, especially the global flood, will tell you that there was only one ice age that lasted less than 1,000 years. Though it's true that the Bible never directly mentions the Ice Age, it gives us key events that help us to extrapolate, such as Noah's Flood. Check it out. Out of the Bible's 66 books, Job has some particularly unique features. For example, apart from Genesis 1 to 11, it is probably the Bible's oldest book. It also contains more references to creation, the flood, and other primeval events than any other book of the Bible except Genesis, and also seems to contain more modern scientific insights than any other book of the Bible. Some scholars and scientists even think it may contain a reference to the Ice Age. It is true that Job has more mentions of snow, ice, and cold than any of the other biblical books. For instance, in what could be an allusion to the Ice Age, Job chapter 38 verses 29 and 30 says, From whose womb comes the ice, and the frost of heaven, who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. As Dr. Henry Morris commented, this unusual picture of a sheet of ice slowly coming forward, as if emerging from a womb, may well refer to the ice sheet of the Great Ice Age that covered the northern latitudes for many centuries following the flood. Whether this be a reference to the Ice Age or not, the events recorded in this book would have been almost certainly contemporaneous with this Great Freeze. Although most secular scientists believe that there have been 30 or more ice ages over many millions of years, early biblical history provides a very different and more satisfactory view. One reason for this is because while mainstream science has no viable starting mechanism to explain even one ice age, let alone 30, the Bible does. As meteorologist Michael Ord points out, to cause an ice age, rare conditions are required warm oceans for high precipitation, and cool summers for lack of melting the snow. Interestingly, as Henry Morris already alluded to, the climactic conditions following the Genesis Flood provided these exact conditions. 
For instance, during the deluge there were underwater volcanic eruptions, as indicated by the bursting forth of the fountains of the Great Deep in Genesis chapter 7 verse 11. As the crust of the earth broke open, hot water and lava released into the oceans, making the post-flood ocean waters warm from pole to pole. On top of this, for several years after the flood, there would have been large amounts of volcanic activity, sending dust and debris into the atmosphere. These volcanic particles would reflect some of the sun's light back into space, causing cooler summers. As far as the length of this biblical ice age is concerned, according to the best estimates, it would have reached its peak 500 years after the flood, and would have fully melted 200 years later, making it a total of 700 years. If so, it means the Ice Age lasted from roughly 2350 to 1650 BC. Interestingly, many scholars date Job's life to within this very time span. While this doesn't automatically mean that Job 38, 29, and 30 is a reference to the Ice Age, the timing does at least make it conceivable. So the global flood seems to be the mechanism that kickstarted the Ice Age. As Michael Ord pointed out, warmer oceans and cooler summers are a recipe for ice buildup. But just so there's no confusion, I wanted to make it clear that the ice sheets that formed during the Ice Age didn't cover the whole globe. In fact, that's probably why the Ice Age is never directly mentioned in the Bible. The Scandinavian ice sheet and mountain ice caps were farther north than the region uh, where the Bible was written. Only an increase in the snow coverage of Mount Hermon and possibly more frequent snowfalls on the high areas of the Middle East would have been evident to those living in Israel. It's the same with Job. While it is true that Job didn't live in the northern latitudes where the ice sheets formed, it is still possible that during the winters he observed lake ice and frost, especially if temperatures were lower because of the ice age. Yeah, that's important, Ryan, to remember. And so when we are in, like we're in places, we're 1,400 feet above sea level where we are in the studio and everything, mm -hmm. and uh, it gets cooler up here. And, and so we live on the extreme, but the Bible was written in a place in which they were living in the Middle East. Yeah. And that's important to keep yeah, in mind. Absolutely. So very, very interesting. Janice? Well, I called this multiplying words, and I am known as somebody that can talk a lot. And there's been times when I have said a lot to Rod, and I can see after a while that his eyes kind of glaze over, and I know that he sort of have checked out of the conversation. Have you had those moments, Corey? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Had those moments. I'm not proud of those moments, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Well, no, I mean, you know, it, it, it's... It's mutual, right? I mean, it goes back and forth. Sometimes I just need to learn to just lessen my words sometimes. But, I, you know, I, I look at Elihu here, and he starts talking at the end. He's waited. He's let all of the other friends have their say. And he introduces himself, and we, and we see him uh, arriving at chapter 32. And he, and he kind of comes in in a harsh way, um, you know, putting them all in their place, talking about their age, but yet that he has been enlightened by God. And, and literally, we read all of his words all the way through to chapter 37. He just keeps going and going and going. But today's chapter of Job chapter 35 today, um, he's, he's really condemning self-righteousness, which is really ironic because he kind of needs to take a look in the mirror. And oftentimes, you know, we do the same. Uh, we come across to people like we have all the answers, that we are the enlightened ones. And, you know, Elihu wasn't wrong with all of the things that he said, but he did talk a lot. 
He talked a lot. And at the end of chapter 35, there's a verse here uh, of words that Elihu said about Job. And he says, therefore, Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. That's a pretty, that, that, that's quite the statement if you think about it. Therefore, Job opens his mouth in vain. He multiplies words without knowledge. He throws that accusation out. But if you look back in verse 13, here's what Elihu says. Surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. And I find that really interesting or fascinating, as you would say, Rod, that that after chapter 37, at the end of Elihu's words, Job doesn't even get a chance to respond because God just begins to talk. It's like, that's exactly what happened. Surely God will not listen to empty talk, nor will the Almighty regard it. It's just like God just is kind of like, okay, thank you. And he starts to answer Job. So, you know, I just... I just, as a reminder again, these are very personal moments with, with all of these men here trying to come to some kind of a reason why Job is in this predicament because he was their friend. They traveled to see him and they were so shocked by the state of Job and what had happened that for seven days, the Bible says, they just sat in stunned silence. They didn't know what to say. And then they began to search in their own souls, in their own hearts, to try to come up with the answer that could get Job out of this. Or perhaps, as Corey mentioned a few days ago, to actually come up with a solution to to stop or prevent them from getting into that same situation. And so let's just remember today, as we're coming to the close of Job, that Let's ask God to help us as we follow him and as we read his word, not to judge one another, to let God correct who we are. Let's make sure um, that our lives are right before God. There's a lot of things that need to be corrected in my life. I can tell you that. And I have seen a lot of shades of me, a lot of things that I have heard myself say to people and so wish that I could go back in time and take those words and put them back in my mouth. So in going forward, I hope that God can help me to put a guard over my mouth that only the things that I should say come out and those things that I do say and the things that I do feel are full of the grace of God because God saved me and it's through his grace, not how great I am, but how great God is. Today we pray and we say, Father, help me to hear you daily. As I read the Bible, I read your words and I pray. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ and we all send together, amen and amen. Now, 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern time or New York time. Uh, we are on Facebook and YouTube Monday, Wednesday and Friday live praying for you. Join us. I'd love to see you there and we'll pray for you. And there's a great collection of wonderful people.